Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to another episode of Hi, Jinx with Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest is celebrated actress, film creator, and directrix, Carrie Preston. We talk about everything from vampires to that time I played her in a sketch, all the way to what it feels like to be a redhead in this industry. So settle in and hunker down for some more hijinks. Forever. Dog. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. I'm very excited. Today we are joined by Emmy Award winning actor and famous redhead, Carrie Preston. Hi Carrie. Hi Jinx. You did it. (laughs) How can I not? How are you doing? I'm so excited to meet you. (laughs) I'm so excited to meet you too. (laughs) I'm kind of geeking out because you played me. I know. (laughs) In the Claws recaps for season one. (laughs) And, And let me tell you how excited I was when they said that they were gonna do that and that you were going to be playing me because you are one of my absolute faves from RuPaul's Drag Race. This is blowing my mind. (laughs) I mean, absolute faves. And when we all, all, first of all, all, all the ladies were screaming when we found (laughs) out who was playing us. Cause we all know y'all, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we follow the show. We know who you are and everything. So we couldn't have been more excited it was like we had all of our favorite rock stars were playing us, you know, in the that, bio in the biopic or something. <laughs> it was, it was that is so that just blows my mind to hear because I was, yeah. you know, very excited uh, when I got the call. You know how everyone always says when I got the call, but it's all yeah. emails, you know. It's yeah. all, <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I I was just so thrilled, and while I was. 
um, filming it, I was just like, I wonder what Carrie Preston would think about me playing her in this. And to, to now years later to get to meet you and to get to talk about it. I'll tell you some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, they had pulled a wardrobe for me that I'm sure the like the silhouettes and the style of dresses that they pulled would have looked amazing on on your body and your frame. But for for a, a for a curvy uh, man sized woman, <laughs> I was like, we're gonna need to do something about the spaghetti straps, which is why I'm wearing a cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a cardigan and everything because I insisted on something to go over the spaghetti straps. Listen, cardigans, Polly, Polly rocked cardigans all the time. Wonderful. So, you know, you were right. You were right in there. No, I mean, I screamed and howled. Like when you, when you did that cupcake scene, which is, you know, one of my all time favorite oh, scenes. Oh, the knife throwing. This, yeah. That's so brilliant. <laughs> and I love, I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do filming is throw something or like you know break a glass or something it's like oh, sure. the thing you don't get to do in theater yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to have that prop knife and just throw it into the throw air over there. and over <laughs> right and then How- of course they cut to it being you know it, it sticking in the ceiling yeah. but when you're sh- when we were shooting it you know you throw the knife and it falls back down I mean yeah. there's no way you just- <laughs> so they had to like cut every time you know as the be careful. We don't want the, of course it was a fake <laughs> knife, but you know, the one I was throwing, but um, yeah. Your, your, yeah. your knife throw in that scene. I mean, I <laughs> wanted so badly to capture the essence of that. How many times did you have to film that? So for anyone listening who hasn't seen the scene, um, you're threatening another character yeah. <laughs> in the show while you're frosting cupcakes. And yes. then, and then as a as a show of your strength and as a show of why not to fuck with you, you take this giant butcher knife and throw it and then it sticks into the ceiling. <laughs> and it's an amazing <laughs> yeah. moment. How many times did you have to film throwing that knife into the air? <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, of course, you know, when you're shooting a scene like that, you it, it takes, you know, the better part of half a day, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you have to shoot the master and the close-ups and all that stuff. So um, we saved the actual throwing of the knife, you know, till, <laughs> till the close-ups mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then they would, you know, use it, uh, the insert later, which, so I didn't even see what that looked like until mm-hmm. it came out. And then I howled to, because if they really looked so convincing, I mean, it really looked like I threw that knife and it stuck in the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> And then to see you do it <laughs> was uh, truly delightful. Yeah. Oh, it it was it was an honor to get to recreate that moment. Um, fans of Carrie Preston will recognize her from many different projects: um, True Blood, The Good Wife, and we were talking about Claws. And Claws is an amazing ensemble cast, and um, uh, it stars Niecy Nash. And I just love. I love when comedy actors, you know, like who are known for something as cult as Reno 911, mm-hmm. like then transition into doing something you'd never expect. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, um, she's so she's really incredibly versatile. And I, you know, I don't know if you saw Getting On, which was on HBO that she was on. And she, you know, play, it was just this really subtle. Uh, performance from her and you know that she got nominated for Emmy and you know she just uh you know 
it has has had a, like a really interesting career, um, you know, doing anything from the, the kind of reality shows all the way to, you know, claws and everything in between. <laughs> so, you know, I admire <laughs> actors like that. That's, you know, that's kind of actor I, I try to be too. Oh, I would agree. I mean, um, <laughs> to go from vampires to nail salons, you know, you have yeah. to have some versatility there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've worked on all sides of the camera. You've directed, you directed some episodes of Claws. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned in our little uh, pre-recording meeting, you're a filmmaker yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then you're, you're um, an actor as well. What position do you enjoy playing the most or do you like to be able to flip-flop, as we say in the gay community? <laughs> <laughs> ACDC. Um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I, I guess what you might call a lifer, you know, mm-hmm. I, I started doing, um, you know, my own like theater when I was in the seventh grade, I started my own theater company, you know, out with mm-hmm. the kids in the front yards. We called ourselves the <laughs> ST kids, the street theater kids. And I was, oh, you know, I had everybody out there, all the kids. And, you know, I was uh, writing, writing the skits and, you know, we were singing songs and then we would, you know, I was already an opera entrepreneur and I was charging people, you know, 50 cents or whatever to come and watch it. And, you know, we would sell lemonade and, you know, it was, it was a thing, you know, and I was doing community theater and, and all of that. But I always knew that I wanted to do more, you know, I, that we didn't have a drama department in my high school. So, you know, I started one, you know, so that we could do plays there, you know, and I just, uh, have always been somebody who wants to, to, to make things. I like to make things, you know, so (laughs) I've tried to, you know, carry that into my adult life and continue to, uh, to do that. And, uh, you know, I started my own production company with with a couple of my friends when, you know, it was right at the beginning of that kind of do-it-yourself filmmaking, you know, when yeah. people were taking cameras in their own hands and and making movies with, uh, you know, these little prosumer cameras, you know, those mini DV cameras and, yeah. you know, and I started working with them and we would make these feature films and we would somehow cut them together and they would go to festivals and then we would, you know, like it was that kind of thing. And, um, and then I knew I wanted, you know, to move that into, to directing, uh, television. Cause I, mm-hmm. I love being on TV and, you know, it's, so it felt natural that I would want to try to get behind the camera and in that medium as well. So, um, but acting is always the thing that, you know, I keep coming back to, you know, yeah. it's the, it's, it's, it's the first love. Yeah. yeah. And um, I always say for myself, um, I, I can relate to your stories of putting on your own shows in your yard and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like my after school job was busking on the streets of Portland, um, nice. doing a mime act that I did with a friend of mine. And we call ourselves the street dolls <laughs> because there you we go. would dress up like wind up <laughs> dolls and we'd have a boom box and we were, you know, we were doing drag numbers, but they, all the, songs we selected for it were something having to do with like being dolls or wind up dolls or whatever. And, you know, um, we would make 60 bucks each in a couple of hours. That's uh-huh. all I needed to get by on back then. Oh God. But... Yeah. That's, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're 15, 60 of bucks course. for a week, that's oh, your yeah. lunch. <laughs> that's your lunch, oh, breakfast yeah. and dinner. Um, totally. <laughs> so I've always thought it was a huge, probably like one of my best 
my my biggest benefits in life is that I've just always known what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. then to be lucky enough to be doing it these days. And you went to Juilliard. You graduated in 1994. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what was that experience like? I, I've always wondered, because Juilliard holds this weight to it, did you feel like a, a pressure to be Juilliard? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always makes fun of the Juilliard actors, you know, the ones who have the, the deep voice and everything and all that supported work with the classical plays and stuff. Um, yeah, no, it took me a couple of auditions to get into Juilliard. I mean, I knew, you know, I wanted to go there. I just, I didn't, I just didn't have, you know, I didn't know if I could, could get in, you know, they, yeah. it, at that time, um, they were really only taking around seven women a year and then the rest were men. They didn't really do like a half and halfy thing that they I think yeah. they do now. Um, because they were still sort of under the, uh, you know, I think false impression that classical plays have more men than women in them. So we need to have more men in the classes than women. Yeah. And of course that, has changed so much and we have such <laughs> non-traditional casting um some of which uh I'm lucky to have been a part of um we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit but <laughs> um but uh but anyway yeah so I I um I had you know gone to um a small college the college of Charleston mm-hmm. at first you know my parents they didn't really know like I I knew I wanted to be an actor my my older brother is an actor as well but they didn't really know – it's not like today where the parents, you know, take you to colleges and they show you yeah. – you know, they – you know, they, my parents were just like, figure it out. We'll be supporting you however you want, but good luck, you know. Yeah. And they were, they were very supportive, but, you know, they didn't really know. So it took me a minute, you know, to find my way. So I went to this smaller college and then I had a professor there who was like, uh, you know, t- took said, why don't, why don't you try to go to this um, – other liberal arts college that that he had gone to and it was um in um southern indiana called the university of evansville which sounds like you know really small school and it was but it had a really wonderful training theater training program and a lot Mm -hmm. of great people have come out of it actually even on true blood rutina wesley who played tara she went to school there rami malik who you know is the academy award winning actor now he oh, went yeah. there after me so you know it's it's had it's got a nice track record but um my professor at the time um i told him i wanted to go to juilliard and he said well if you come to the university of evansville i will get you into juilliard and i was like, oh, really? oh well that's a big thing to say <laughs> you know and um and so you know uh i went there and they really trained us you know to how to audition you know Mm -hmm. for these schools these like high-powered schools so I had auditioned for Juilliard uh, you know when I was younger and hadn't gotten in and so when I got done with Evansville I auditioned for Juilliard and got in and then I told him I called him up and I was like I got in and he was like oh my god I'm never going to say that ever again to another kid. You keeping know, him up at night. He was keeping him up at night. So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, it was, um, you know, it was a lot like acting boot camp, you know? Yeah. Um, it was really intense. It was, it was, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was an incredible, mm-hmm. you know, stomping ground. And it was a way for me to move to New York City 
and acclimatize myself to this town. You know, I I, yeah. I just, I don't know if I would have been able to just cold move here, you know? So yeah. to be able to move here and be in this like womb of training with the these incredible professors and, you know, classmates that were all, you know, in it together and creating, you know, being creative together. I mean, that was pretty great. It was also really intense, you know? Was, yeah. You know, we called it the jail yard <laughs> school, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Instead of the Juilliard School, we called it the Jail Yard School. And like even now when you meet people, you know, who went to Juilliard, you're just like, hey, yeah, we went to Nam together, man. You know, it was like we that's, survived, I mean, you know. That's drag race girls, you know, that's our oh, shared yeah. our, our shared experience that links us no matter who we are or yeah. whether we went at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um and I went to acting school for college, uh, Cornish College in Seattle mm-hmm. and they pride themselves on like delivering a conservatory style education mm-hmm. with uh, then you get a, a BFA. So like a it's a university setting with a conservatory style education. Right. And it was very much like, you know, it's all you do for four years. My weekends yes. were spent working on the projects. I was in shows after school. I spent every day, all day. And I made some of the most like amazing friendships there and people I still collaborate with today. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing they taught me was, you know, if you don't see the work out there for you, if the role, mm-hmm. it, like if you're not getting the roles you want, they taught us how to kind of create the roles we want to see out in the world or create the work we want to see in the world. So mm-hmm. um, I had, you know, like when I went to acting school, I thought I wanted to just learn how to be an actor, but now knowing how to like do some writing and, you know, having a little approximate knowledge of directing and producing and stuff, it's definitely served me in my work because um, you know, there's not a wealth of gender non-binary drag <laughs> drag roles out there and and when they do exist they tend to still go to just pretty boys anyway so oh god i know it's so crazy but that's why it's so great that everybody can just take the work into their own own hands now and 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 that's the work that's i feel like um being celebrated a lot today all my favorite shows the 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 cast are also the people who created it like um it's always sunny in philadelphia was self-generated yeah. at first and mm-hmm. broad city um and pen 15 like oh, there's God, so I much amazing show. work that's coming out of intense friendships and people just saying okay if no one's going to make this show for us we'll just have to make it for ourselves yeah exactly <laughs> that's what you have to do and and you know you can now i mean yeah Andy Warhol wasn't wrong, right? (laughs) Everybody's getting their 15 minutes. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you you um, went to Juilliard, which meant you spent some time living in New York. Do you live in L.A. now? No, I'm New York 
New York all the time. Oh, you're in New York. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, we lived in out. My husband and I, we, we had a, a place out there for a good long time in L.A., but then um, there's so much work that's happening, like, all over the country. And I, I was true bloodshot in L.A., mm-hmm. so I was there for quite some time. And my husband was on Lost. My husband is Michael Emerson, if you don't know. And he was on Lost, which was this, you know, kind of cult hit. But it, it, I think it, I've heard of it. You know, it Lost. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. Um, but it was, uh, it was shooting in Hawaii. So when he got that job and I was in New York doing theater, I mean, that's a little bit of a commute. You know, yeah. <laughs> the New York, Honolulu, you know, it's just not, it's just not an easy place to get to. Um, so yeah. uh, that was, you know, when I started spending more time in LA. So at least I could, you know, commute mm-hmm. to, to see him. And, and when I was shooting True Blood and he was shooting that, then it was just easier to, to get to each other um, yeah. that way. Yeah. I love LA though. I, I, you know, I long to, to be back there again. It's just... You know, I just kind of have to go where the work, is, you know, where the work takes me. Yeah. Like, you know, Claws shot in New Orleans. Love New Orleans. Great yeah. town. You know, and I just, I loved being there. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm, I feel lucky that I've gotten to work kind of all over in cool places. And um, and even, even right here in, at home in New York City. Yeah. Or as I, Dina um... Martinez says, New York <laughs> shitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tina, you really are a drag fan. Oh, um, she's 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 like the drag art. You know, like she's oh, like yeah. you. You guys are the you. You're artists with your drag. Well, um, I lived in Seattle for twelve years, so I yes. got to know um, Dina's work in Seattle. But we we got to become friends doing our summers in Provincetown every year. Oh, of and course. and Dina is definitely one of the drag geniuses, uh, part of the old guard of drag before there was oh a TV God. show dedicated to drag. Um, I and I, I absolutely agree with you. Like when work takes you around the world and you get to like plant in a city for a while and pretend like you live there for a while, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, so it's like, I love working in London. I love working in New York and, um, LA, but I always love knowing when I'm going to be done too, because they're yeah. just a little bit too much city for me. Oh, I was born I see, and raised yeah. in Portland and I live mm-hmm. in Portland, Oregon again. And I just don't, I, I think I have a capacity for how much city I can handle at one time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. It is something that you do have to, you know, it costs $20 to wake up when you live in New York city. <laughs> Just you know, and there's and, and you're just assaulted by humanity, you know. Um, assaulted, and yeah. and you could be in your uh, uh, I, I well, I mean, admittedly, I was when we did a show off Broadway in New York, we were staying in an apartment in Hell's Kitchen because mm-hmm. we wanted to be like walking distance from the theater, yeah. And it would be 4 a.m., and the city's still partying, nice. and I'm like, I just want, I was. I was, you know, like in my mid twenties, and I wanted to open the window and be like, "Quiet down, you kids! I'm trying to get some sleep." Um, admittedly, I don't know much about Macon, Macon, Georgia, Macon, That's Georgia, Macon. Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was the shift um, from you? You grew up in Macon, Georgia. What was the shift from Macon 
to New York. Did you feel <laughs> culture oh, shocked? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. I mean, I knew, you know, being in Macon, even when I was a little kid, I, I remember driving around in the backseat and looking out and going, I think there's a lot more to the world than this. (laughs) Like I just sort of knew it. Not that I don't love Macon. I do. And I, you know, I I loved growing up there. Um, My mother is an artist and an art therapist and, you know, was always very encouraging of, um, you know, finding our passion and um, following our heart and, you know, really encouraging us to, to explore all the arts. And so, you know, like I said, my brother's an actor. My sister is a, um, a librarian. She's the head of acquisition. <laughs> she's the head of acquisitions at Fashion Institute of Technology here in New York. So she's a cool librarian, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and she worked at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in one of their libraries mm-hmm. um, before that. And so we're all just you know, kind of steeped in the arts. Um, but I remember the first time I moved or I visited New York City, I thought, or New York City, I thought, wow, <laughs> how do people live here? You know, I really? just, it was inconceivable to me. It felt overwhelming. The anananimity, the potential anonymity really scared me, you know. Walking down the street, feeling like you are like a, like a fish darting in and out of predators, like eye lines. It's like, I I always think about the, uh, like the scenes in Finding Nemo where they're like, (laughs) you know, like dodging the bullets and the shark is behind them and you have Uh to like find openings and gaps to like squeeze yourself into. Oh gosh. Um. (laughs) And it was just, you know, they're just like, it's just dirty, you know, and the it trash is dirty. everywhere, and, you know, and I just thought, why? But then, you know, I would go to the <laughs> museums and I would go to mm-hmm. the theater and then I would think I, I would really love to be a part of that and have that in my yeah. life on a regular basis, you know? Um, but like I was saying before, if I hadn't gotten into school here, I think it would have taken a little bit longer, you know, for me yeah. to want to move here. You know, I yeah. was, I was, I just really wanted to, you know, make my living as a, as an actor on, on stages. I, I didn't, it didn't have to be Broadway, you know, it could be anywhere. And I started doing, you know, summer Shakespeare and stuff when I was a freshman in college. Nothing like summer Shakespeare. Did you do it out in the parks? (laughs) Shakespeare in the park. (laughs) I did it. I did it. But it was like, uh, you know, Georgia Shakespeare Festival. We were under a tent, you know, on a field. And, you know, I started off as a little apprentice and I was getting paid, you know, my $50 a week or whatever to, you know what I mean? And I was thrilled, you know, to carry the spears and help build the sets and work in the box office and all that. Um, So moving to New York was, it it was a big, it was a big dream that I didn't even know I had until I got here. And it it took some adjusting, you know, once I well, I, I was going to ask, um, I am going to ask uh, a fairly <laughs> crude question. Okay. Feel free to answer however <laughs> you feel comfortable answering. But um, uh, the first time I went to New York for an extended amount of time was uh, a show I had written, was playing off Broadway at the Laurie Beachman Theater. Yeah. Um, and we ended up getting extended. So we lived there for like four months. Mm-hmm. And my my best friend who was working as our tour manager and my music partner 
both separately had had experiences where they were walking down the street and someone just stopped in front of them, pulled down their pants and started shitting on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I felt kind of jealous because I was like, I can't even imagine what what that feels like to witness that. And -hmm. then I felt like I wasn't really like acclimating to New York because I had no never seen someone just like shitting on the ground and when it finally <laughs> happened for me i felt like i'm a real new yorker oh, you're now a new yorker. yes you've been have shit you, on have um, you witnessed someone sure. just fully defecating in the middle of the road fully 100 <laughs> oh, more than i care to even it's seared onto my eyeballs uh i had too many times um i've seen that uh i've seen you know People swinging free and easy, if you know what I mean. Just oh yeah, what? Oh, we have that in Seattle too. Yeah. When I lived in Seattle, like I was just like at a crosswalk one day, and I looked up from my phone, and there was just a fully nude man. The only yeah. thing he was wearing was a sweatband on his thigh and his sneakers. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that n- it phased absolutely no one. No one. No, no one. No one was looking at him. No cars were stopping, and he was just. No jogging down the street in full nudity Um, which Mm -hmm. I found to be quite the blessing to witness that One of your earliest films um, was My Best Friend's Wedding, which is also, I I think, has a cult following. And um, I'm sure everyone, I know, I I, I don't know how old I was when it came out, but I remember my mom renting it at the Hollywood video back Mm. in the day when you Mm -hmm. had to go rent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it was such an experience to go and walk the aisles and pick out your movie. Oh, I love that. I remember, um, you know, I was young and um, one of the main characters and it is gay. And I had like never thought about it, it, uh, Ju- Julia Roberts's mm-hmm. date to the wedding as a gay mm-hmm. man. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I remember since I knew I was queer my whole life, it always was exciting just to see that there was like a queer character in a film or a TV show. And that's why um, the say a little prayer scene of everyone Mm -hmm. at the table singing, say a little prayer is, you know, it's, I I can access that memory at the drop of a hat. (laughs) What was it like working on that film, which is stacked with actors who have done just countless things since that film? Um, What were some of your favorite moments about that project? (laughs) I was, uh, I mean, I felt, like I won the lottery just getting cast, you know, in that movie. And I certainly, they, they, we had to go through our paces, you know, in the audition process. Because it was a big, yeah. you know, that was back when they were making big Hollywood mm-hmm. rom-coms, you know. And it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it was, those were like the big, big blockbusters, you know, those movies. And Julia Roberts, you know, was at the height of her Hollywood sweetheartness, And she's a fellow George, Georgian. So I was oh, yeah? excited to meet her because she's, you know, a Georgia girl and we're at the same age. And, you know, it was like, wow, she's, you know, so, got this incredible career. And then to watch her work, I mean, you understood why she had that career. You know, she was mm-hmm. a total pro and she would just execute those scenes like unbelievably 
easily and made it seem effortless, you know. And PJ Hogan, who was the director, I mean, I think he really took that script and he put all those things that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Rupert Everett's character in the original script was supposed to be gay. I think that was PJ, the director, who was like, no, we got to do something we got to make this a more interesting character. And then Rupert Everett, you know, is, is, is so great. And, and there was a, there was a sense of play on set. Like there was a Mm -hmm. sense of, of us being allowed to, to kind of, um, you know, make those roles and into something more delicious and more specific to who we were. And, and certainly with that character that you love so much. Um, and then shooting that scene, the say a little prayer scene, Mm -hmm. um, again, that was PJ. Like he, he added that whole thing. He wanted it to be a big musical number and it took us two, like 14 hour days to do that. Wow. Yeah. And Makes so sense. you can you can imagine <laughs> what the lobsters were smelling like on day two. You can imagine what that room and it was hot. We were shooting, you know, in the summer. It was hot. Um, but it was delightful, you know, to be yeah. and we were shooting on film. This was, you know, we were not shooting on digital where you get to do a million takes, you know. We we're mm-hmm. shooting on film and you know, those were the days where you, they really needed to know exactly what the shots were going to be because they didn't want to burn all that film up. And, um, and but to be able to just, you know, have that sense of being in a musical when yeah. I, that is not what I do. I'm not a musical theater girl. <laughs> I wish I was. Um, and it's funny because in the movie, it's, it's, half of the performance is my voice and then half of it is not. I'm definitely <laughs> lip syncing at the end at the wedding. Um, I was very happy that they kept at least some of my singing in that, <laughs> yeah. in that, you know, in that scene in particular. Um, and then that's Rachel Griffiths um, who's yeah. with, with me and, uh, you know, playing my sister. And, who was also um, in Muriel's, Muriel's Wedding. Muriel's Wedding. You terrible Muriel. Um, terrible Muriel. <laughs> uh, did you enjoy, do you enjoy being part of a duo? Um, I, I mo- pretty much all of my work is with a collaborator like I mean even my solo shows my music partners on stage and I end Mm -hmm. up always you know I am always like set out to write a solo show but I always need like the foil and the Mm -hmm. the straight man to be on stage with me so that I'm not just I'm, I'm not fully talking to myself or fully talking just to the audience I need someone to be able to interject and like give me the next thing to talk about so I always mm-hmm. write him a bunch of lines into all our shows and yeah um, some of our shows it's very much the two of us like 50 50 so people are coming to see a jinx show and then they get treated to a jinx and major show whether they know it or not so yeah yeah no well I think that's great I don't think I could do I don't, I wouldn't want to do a solo thing. And I certainly had no, never had any ambitions to be a stand up or anything like that. I, <laughs> I'm definitely a collaborator. Yeah. So yeah. to answer your question, yeah, I do like, you know, to have, to have people to bounce things off, you know, of and yeah. to work with and, and create things together. My, my producing partners, there's three of us, you know, it's, it's, it's where we're, you know, we're always, you know, trying to figure things out together. And, and um, even when I'm, you know, being asked to direct something, it's, it's never a solo thing. You know, it's, yeah. you have, you have to be able to work with a whole bunch of people. And, and that, that thrills me. I like that. 
Yeah, I've always, uh, especially, you know, most recently, um, for the last, uh, we're about to do our fourth year of writing a holiday show together, Ben De La Creme and myself. And then yes. last year in quarantine, we put out the Jinx and De La Holiday special. Mm-hmm. And I realized that all of my best work happens when I'm doing it with someone else because... I feel like if I were just left alone to my own devices, there would be nothing to kind of like pull me back to what other people can relate to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd yeah. stay so far steeped in just like what I find interesting that no one would have access to it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think collaborators are extremely important, even if they're not on camera with you. You know, I don't think any good work is done without like a whole village coming in to like put their two cents into it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I know it sounds trite to say that acting is reacting, but I, I really do find that to be true. Like if you, if you're working on a scene and you maybe get a little lost, you don't know, you know, what, where, what the scene is asking of you. If you just make the scene about the other person, mm-hmm. you're you're good. You're golden. You know, it's, it's it's yeah. just like a it's a little trick that I I you know share with the younger actors who ask me you know what well what's the trick and I'm like the trick is you know put your energy on someone else and then they will be giving you and if you're both doing that you're going to be giving each other uh, all the right things to 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 make the engine turn and, and oh yeah, to, yeah and push it the just scene along. feels I mean like I feel daunted like. Um, learning a monologue or I've done Hedwig and the Angry Inch and I feel like I don't know how I ended up memorizing that show because it's just Hedwig talking the whole time oh my gosh. and no one else in the show has any lines. Um, and for me, I can memorize a scene where it's me and another person or me and other people. I can memorize that scene like in two read throughs because I know mm-hmm. as long as I'm listening to what everyone else is saying my brain is going to remember what my character wants to say in those moments. Mm-hmm. But right. monologues, I mean, like Ooh. monologues, like call me in a month and we'll see if I have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those are tough. That, that, but I bet you were great in that. I wish I would have seen that. It's a lot of fun. It completely uh, killed me. every Like I had no energy for anything other than doing Hedwig and the Angry Inch and then sleeping until I had to wake up and get back into costume. Of course. That's um, a tour de force. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, but I definitely prefer to be part of an ensemble. Um, my my favorite role to date is I played Velma Von Tussle in Hairspray ah. in Seattle for the 10-year anniversary of... Because it was developed in Seattle before it went to Broadway. And yeah. that show... I had never really got lots of times I don't get into a show until I'm auditioning for it. And uh-huh. then I fall in love with the show through the rehearsal process. And then that yeah. show, you know, like lives inside of me for the rest of my life. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know I what a, you mean. An eclectic taste in musicals. You know, you say to someone you're a musical theater actor and they expect that, you know, every last musical. And I'm like, no, I know like a bunch of Sondheim stuff, some I know Rocky Horror Mm-hmm. And, I don't and then know. the shows that you were in, yeah, <laughs> and then the shows I was in, and that's <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about this show, and I remember this show 
I think I remember seeing the commercials. I don't know if I saw it. My, uh, it's amazing I have any memories past last week, honestly. Um, <laughs> um, but you were on a show in 2001 called Emerald that had oh seven God. episodes and then was pulled from the air. And this was this was a show that starred Emerald Lagasse. Yeah. And it was during a time, I remember there was just an era in TV where half the shows that were on TV were just about the, it was like the actor who's playing the main character or the person playing the main character and then a fictionalized version of their life. Right. Like I was devastated when Bette was canceled because I actually oh, loved yeah. it, but it was yeah. the same thing. It was just Bette Midler playing herself in a fictionalized version of her life. What was it like on the set of Emerald? And, <laughs> and, and what are your hypotheses for why the show um, didn't make it past seven episodes? <laughs> Well, Emeril, God bless him. He was He's a wonderful guy. He's not an actor. Um, <laughs> he wanted to be. He tried really hard. I mean, he was really uh-huh. actually very game. But um, no, that was the strangest time because, um, well, first of all, I was thrilled because, you know, I was living on theater money. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to get a job like that was like, wow, okay, I can actually, you know, put make make a make a living instead of scraping yeah. by and doing the day job and all that stuff. And so I was thrilled to have that have that job. Um but a sitcom, I, I you know, a four camera sitcom with the live audience, I always say, you know, it's a comedy, but it's no joke. It is very <laughs> serious. They take that very seriously and yeah. it's like high pressure, you know, to be funny all the time. And um so we started that um show and then um 9-11 happened mm. while we were filming. So, oh, wow. yeah. So uh, we were we were actually on a week when you're shooting on a sitcom. The, the reason everybody or a lot of actors like to do sitcoms is because the schedule is so incredible. You work three weeks and then you have a week off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I use the word, you know, work kind of loosely because, you know, even the hours during the week are – really great. So it's like great for people who have kids, Mm -hmm. but I don't have kids, but, um, but so you have these three weeks on and a week off. So, um, because I lived in New York, I, I would try to go home on those weeks off. So Mm -hmm. I had, um, I had gone home. Um, my, my, my husband had been out with me. He had got nominated for an Emmy for guest best guest actor in a drama for this show called The Practice. Mm-hmm. He won and he we we went home for my hiatus. He carried an Emmy onto the plane on September the 10th. Oh wow. Yep, and we landed and then we, you know, went to sleep in our apartments and we woke up and 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 the whole world changed. Yeah. And then I had to get back out to LA. Because we were still oh, shooting. Mm-hmm. So there were no planes. Everything was grounded. Yeah. I certainly wasn't getting on the PG, PJ, the private jet for NBC. Yeah. I was not yeah. that. <laughs> I wasn't that kind of a star. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like uh, they were going to write me out, at, you know, of oh, wow. the episode, you know, of that next episode. And I was like, oh, hell no. I need that money. You know, I want to, I'm getting out of here. So <laughs> I rented a car with a friend. I swear it must have been the last car in Manhattan. I'm not kidding you. 
And we drove across country. From um, New York to L.A.? From New York to L.A. And it was actually an incredible time to see our country, you know, because yeah. everywhere we stopped, we had New York plates. And people would be like, how are y'all doing? You know, here, do you want a coffee? How are you feeling? Um, you know, let the meals on us. Like everybody was so rallied around the, you know, the certainly yeah. around New York and, and yeah. it was, and it was like a, it was a really, you know, profound thing to, to experience as well, you know, to see our great big country after it had been attacked. And then, um, and then I went back, you know, to shoot some more of this sitcom, you know, yeah. that what did that have to do with anything? You know what yeah. I'm And so, <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, we, we ended up shooting 11, episodes of it and then um you know they they can't they canceled it it started airing as we were we were still shooting um but it was after 9-11 and so people were just not it was the wrong tone you know yeah not that the show was great um (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know I was sad you know that it ended because it was a great job and I liked the people but the best part was you know Emeril would he would get stressed and so he would cook for us and so you know I was just gonna ask like did you get to eat yeah (laughs) he would come in you know and he'd be like I couldn't sleep last night so I made you guys a pot of gumbo and he would like pop it down you know it's like (laughs) Girls, 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 do you like meat? Do you like meat? I got a porterhouse, you know? And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll t- <laughs> so that that was actually one of the perks of, of that job. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You have lived a life, Carrie Preston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a little bit older than you, Jane. Yeah, I've been, I've we, been up I and mean, down looking at us block. in this, the Zoom meeting, we basically look the exact same. <laughs> not going to ask you this question um i'm just going to say some things at you okay. um but i i am not a natural redhead but <laughs> since i was a, a, a as as far back as i can remember and there's photos of me at like three years old and four years old i've just always been obsessed with um feminine energy and redheads redheaded females it's like Mm -hmm. been a lifelong obsession so when I was 14 I started dyeing my hair and I always wanted my my drag persona to be a redhead I had a stay I had a blonde stint um Mm -hmm. (laughs) um when I won drag race something in my mind said I have to be blonde now I don't know what it was a crazy time and then when I crowned (laughs) Bianca I went no I'm gonna be a redhead now forever and ever and ever um and those pictures I was talking about uh, you uh, there's these pictures that exist of me as a toddler with a redheaded Barbie and then I'm a little older and I'm just carrying around the head of the Barbie because the doll broke (laughs) and we couldn't get the head back on but I didn't need the body because I just was concerned with the hair. So as a kid, I was carrying around this, you know, disembodied uh, Barbie head just because she had red hair. What has life been? You're famously redheaded. What has life been for you as a redhead? Do people have certain expectations of you? Do people make uh, weird assumptions based on you being a redhead? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny because I've... um 
you know, I had the, the great privilege of living up until about 12 years ago, you know, blonde, you know, I was born oh, yeah. a blonde. I was born a blonde and, you know, I had a whole career as a blonde and, um, and, and this is a, a very strange story, but my mother uh, for her whole life used to have this recurring dream about a little redheaded girl that she had to oh, protect. Yeah. And when I was born, um, she, the first image that she saw of me, you know, there was still some blood on me and she thought I was a redhead. <laughs> um, and then later on, I, you know, I'm a blonde. I have no intention of being a redhead. I wasn't carrying <laughs> around a decapitated redheaded Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did like, I think Dressy Bessie, was she a redhead? I did like my Dressy Bessie. But anyway, um, uh, then I was doing True Blood and um, I was doing a movie at the time where I was a blonde and I got cast in True Blood and the character's fully a redhead in the books and mm -hmm. everything. So they put a wig on me and I liked it. I liked what yeah. I looked like as a redhead. And I was like, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. And then um, – because of the show, every season would pick up script-wise exactly where the previous season left off. So I kept having to wear the same wig. And then mm -hmm. I got really sick of the wig. And then I thought, finally, when there was a time jump in the in the script story, I said, I'm doing it. I'm dyeing my hair red. And mm -hmm. um, I did. And then I haven't looked back. I have loved it. It it like just completely changed, you know, how I saw myself. It changed my casting. I started yeah. getting different kinds of roles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I hate it that, you know, women are often just thought of as uh, the color of their hair, but that yeah. does happen. Um, but the the redheaded roles are more interesting. <laughs> it's so, you it's know, so they're more fun. And funny that you say that because it's so many years. I mean, you and Lucille Ball weren't working at the same time, but that's so similar to Lucille Ball was like started her career as a blonde, but she right. became who we know as Lucille yeah. Ball when she decided to go red. It's yeah. just so, I mean, of course it's rooted in a, a, a flawed and uh, systemically problematic uh, system of <laughs> I know. all kinds of bullshit but um yeah that a that a woman's life can begin again just because she dyes her That's hair, hair. i know it's ridiculous <laughs> it really uh -huh. is but also like the people who kind of check you out on the streets mm -hmm. you know strangers oh it's yeah a different type of person that likes a oh. redhead than a blonde i mean i I got asked the other day, why did I choose to, like, this person didn't even for a moment entertain the idea that my hair was natural. <laughs> <laughs> just a person walking by on the street just stops and says, why did you choose to um, turn your hair that color? And I said, because I felt like it. And he went, all right. And just kept walking. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd rather have moments like that as a yeah. redhead than to never have a moment like that as as a brunette. I never felt <laughs> I never <laughs> felt like this is who I was meant to be when I just had brown hair and I I describe my natural hair color as the absence of color cuz it's not just brown it's like you would never you would never like register me if I <laughs> get my hair natural. Yeah. I would just be that person standing there. Um, 
But enough oh, about honey, our I don't red wanna, hair. I don't want to know. I don't know what. I don't want to know what's going on underneath this this hair. <laughs> Every time one root comes in, I'm like, get it out, get yeah. it out. <laughs> um, what 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 was it like working on True Blood? I have to ask. Are you one of those? Uh, one of those. Uh, are you someone who likes horror? Um, I know that Jessica Lang, who worked on many seasons of American Horror Story, has mm-hmm. said multiple times that she doesn't even like horror. So she doesn't watch mm-hmm. um, her work on American Horror Story, even oh, though wow. she is the backbone of the early seasons of that show. Um, <laughs> what was your relationship to horror? How did you find working on um, True Blood, an amazing show that um, rode the wave of the vampire craze and has multiple um, queer characters, lots mm-hmm. of uh, diverse representation. Mm-hmm. Um Give us a little snippet of Carrie Preston's True Blood. <laughs> well, for me, I was on a show about a bar. You know, everybody mm-hmm. else was on. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Like, I was on this show about this quaint bar in a small town. And, you know, I was the human. And, uh, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I kept wanting, I kept wishing that, you know, I would have more to do with, with uh, the vampires because, you know, the supernaturals, the soups or whatever, yeah. you know, they just, they get to <laughs> do cool things. They get to be a parts of, you know, the actors got to do stunts and they got to wear cool makeup and all that. And, um, but I thought it was very important to have, you know, the character like Arlene to kind of hold down the, the, the context of the show, yeah. you know, that these were these supernatural characters that were existing in a very human and sometimes very conservative world, you know, and this, yeah. and this was a, a show that, you know, was popcorn for adults, but it was also, you know, um, a real statement on, uh, you know, what it feels like to be disenfranchised in, yeah. in our society. And so yeah. um, I was very proud to be a part of a show that had that kind of social commentary, but told Absolutely. in a way that was, um, you know, not tricking <laughs> the audience. But, and witches. You know, but, and <laughs> yeah, you know vampire porn you know what i mean it was like people (laughs) people really really responded to it in in on many different levels and i think that's what makes you know television or movies or anything that are uh that that really you know hit um i think that's what it is that makes them work is that it's they're you know they're they're um serving many many masters and somehow able to you know make a social commentary, but also to be highly entertaining. Yeah. Um, and then I was, you know, thrilled of, of, of the arc of my character through the the seven years, you know, because she really was such a racist, you know, at the beginning. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was, it was fun to, to, um, you know, try to humanize her. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in Macon and, and um, uh, I grew up with, with complex women like Arlene. And so I, I felt like this real responsibility to portray the Southern, uh, a woman with, you know, with respect and, and with humor. Um, and then to see that, you know, by the end of the series, um, she's ends up falling in love with a vampire. And so, (laughs) you know, she got one of the best arcs of the whole series in in my opinion mm-hmm. and um and so i felt glad that i got to be there on day one and i was there on the last day you know you, that a lot yeah. of people didn't get to make it all the way you know because it was yeah 
lots of because people die. Because people die. <laughs> people die. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I I I don't really watch a lot of horror. I I do get scared pretty easily, but True mm. Blood to me was more genre, you know, than yeah. than horror or um, yeah. You know, it was it was not like a, a, a slasher or anything like that. It had it had many yeah. more um, nuances to it, and it was sexy, and it was sexual. And- <laughs> it was sexy and 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 you never knew who was gonna next be a vampire and <laughs> no, there were lots of people turning vampire yeah yeah I I'll admit um I'm I'm big enough to admit if I were on a show like True Bloods and um if did I say True Bloods <laughs> yeah you did it sounds like a gang <laughs> the mo- oh, <laughs> if I were on a show like True Blood and I didn't get to play one of the supernatural characters, I would feel ripped off. Um. <laughs> yeah, it was it was tough, you know, like especially when it would come around to publicity time and it would be like, yeah. only supernaturals need apply to be on the poster, you know, and I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> can yeah, I fix like- you a drink while you guys get your photos taken? <laughs> if I were ever on a set where. Oh, it's like how I felt when, and this is no comparison to your <laughs> to your experience, but when I played the cowardly lion in uh-huh. The Wizard of Oz in high school, and I got the role I wanted, um, and then they uh, then they brought in the fly rig for the witch, Wicked Witch, Ugh. and and not only the Wicked Witch, but Glenda got to be on the fl- fly rig too, Ugh. and I'm like. So pissed off that I didn't get to fly. I was like, "Can we write a scene where the lion? Can we? Can we direct one of the scenes where, for whatever reason, the lion is flying and it never happened?" So I do get jealous when I see. Oh, I want to be the one flying or yeah. drinking blood or. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Although that blood is is not. It doesn't taste very good, and oh, yeah. those harnesses that you have to wear when you fly are not comfortable. So does I hope that makes you feel a little better. Well, I've been tucking my dick for 18 years I think you can <laughs> handle true. harness I think you can. <laughs> for a day um, I, I want to ask I have my I have my closeout questions but okay. before um, before I get there I just want to ask if you can tell me some of your favorite roles um, you mentioned earlier you've played some unconventional roles mm-hmm. and um, and any of your favorite um favorite uh, pieces you've directed any anything else that we haven't talked about that you just love for people to go out and google search after this (laughs) (laughs) um well the unconventional role was um this was like in the late 90s and um uh the public theater was doing a production of Antony and Cleopatra and Vanessa Redgrave was uh directing and playing Cleopatra Oh, just Vanessa Redgrave? Just Vanessa. <laughs> just Ness. Nessa. Um, and, uh, you know, I was asked to audition for, you know, there weren't, there aren't very many women in the, in the um, play. And I was asked to audition for um, this character called um, Octavia. And she's the sister to Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. So I went in, I, I did, I, I, I was like, I'm not going to do, do a Cleopatra monologue for Cleopatra. So I'll just mm-hmm. do a Caesar monologue. I didn't do it in drag. I was, you know, wearing a dress, the whole thing, but I did a Caesar monologue and I end up getting cast as Caesar. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I get to cross dress and, you know, mm-hmm. play a boy to Vanessa Redgrave. And it was um, <laughs> pretty, 
sensational, <laughs> I have to say. It was pretty that great. That sounds amazing. I, yeah, I cut off all my hair and, you know, I was, I just, I wore boys clothes all the time and I, it was really, you know, a sensational, crazy, lawless production. Um, <laughs> so that was definitely one of, one of the, the you know, fun theater roles that I got to do. Yeah. And um, as far as uh, <clears throat> film and TV, I mean, I've done so many wonderful things. I mean, Elsbeth Tassioni, who I play on uh, the, who I played on The Good Wife, and then uh, a little bit on The Good Fight, um, mm -hmm. is uh, one of those once in a lifetime kind of feeling roles. You know, that comes along, and you just go, "Oh God, I." I hope I don't mess this up. It's so delicious and so good. Yeah, and so um, you know that was really and, fun and to be able to you know, play that over good, and over again. Did the good? Sorry to interrupt, but no, um, okay. uh, <laughs> my brain is piecing <laughs> it together. Yeah, um, is the good fight with Christine Baranski? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yes, I. And it, it's a spinoff of the Good Wife, which is the one with Juliana Margulies. Okay. Um, yeah. Christine Baranski is. Fierce. <laughs> Fierce. Amazing. Yeah. Um, when I was nine years old, uh, we had to interview each other in like, I don't know, like third grade, fourth grade. And I remember that like I outed myself in elementary school because every boy in class um, answered the question, who's your favorite actor or mm -hmm. actress? And mm -hmm. every boy said Jim Carrey, okay. Eddie Murphy, right. or like um, uh, Mike Myers. Uh -huh. And I said Christine Baranski. Yes. I love <laughs> this. And we actually wrote that as a line into um, the Christmas special that ended up getting cut as like the way to know that I was queer from basically the youngest age possible was my favorite actor as a child was Christine Baranski. So if you don't mind that texting so her genius. and telling her. Um, they, I mean, and I did just get to direct an episode of The Good Fight. So I got to direct her, which oh, wow. was, I mean, there's not much to say. Christine Baranski. <laughs> <laughs> Except, good job. Um, no, good she's, job, Miss Baranski. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what you're doing. Uh, no, that was that was an extraordinary experience. Um, and it, yeah, that just dropped about three weeks ago. The episode that I directed in the Good Fight. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. and then um, uh, I directed a feature film called "That's What She Said." That. I would love people to go and find. Starring, starring Steve Carell. Uh, yeah, no, it's not that. There's actually not a single man in the entire film. It's all women. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Very, I love hearing that. Uh, yeah. Um, these are, it's been so lovely talking to you. You have you a too. wonderfully um, uh, long and expansive and diverse career. Um, <laughs> and these are the questions that I ask everyone. So, okay. you know, just go with your, go with your gut, speak from your heart. Okay. Who, I know you're happily married. Um, <laughs> who is your celebrity crush? Uh, and I encourage you not to just say the person you're already married to, who okay, is also no, a celebrity. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that. I mean, I, uh, I just, I have so many. I mean, I, I like, I guess I immediately go to the, like the, you know, the ones that I had from when I was younger, you know, like, well, I've always had the movie star boyfriend, Matt Damon. He's uh -huh. always been my movie star boyfriend. I mean, since I saw him in school days. 
Um, but then I go to like Annie Lennox uh, uh-huh. from Eurythmics. You know, I I had her poster up. I you know, she had talk about redheads. I mean, yeah. she had that short crew cut, you know, and the mask on her face and her arms up. And she had that voice of, and just, I was obsessed with her. And then I would go, I got to see her in concert a couple of times, like camp out overnight to get tickets kind of thing. That yeah. kind of crush, um, you know, so, or, or like Sandra Bernhard, you know, um, without mm-hmm. you, I'm nothing that, that movie, you know, like, so I, mm-hmm. I it's like talent crush. But also, you know, it's all it's all wrapped up into it's sexy, you. it's talent, it's the whole thing. Yeah, I used to when I started asking this question, I would like you know encourage people to say like, no, you're like, who would you do crush? Right. Until um until I um, interviewed Monet Exchange, and she took it to such a filthy place that I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to open this up. Whatever your interpretation of crush is, of course, th- she did. that's the that's the correct answer. She said something about Goblin, something of Ryan Reynolds, and oh no. <laughs> I was like, this has gone to such a filthy place that I I, I want to open up the parameters on this question. <laughs> oh my god. Also I'll say cl- my celebrity yeah, crush it. today is Rami Malek because you mentioned him. He <gasps> is yeah. so incredibly attack, uh, attractive yeah, and talented. Rami's amazing, yeah. I, I never watched the show. I can't remember what show. Oh, I don't remember the name of the show, but uh, a sitcom that I never watched. But he plays a closeted queer character on the show who eventually comes out. And there's a supercut of all his gay moments on this show. Are you serious? I remember, yeah, I remember watching that on YouTube and just thinking, oh my gosh, he is so cute and so funny. And then another person who I think started out in comedy and now is like, you know, what? I, I, I'm not even going to take a stab at it, but um, I love it when co- uh, comic actors then get to, um, to get to bridge in and show that like comedy is hard too. you know, mm-hmm. just if you start out in comedy, that doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to be a, a, a serious actor. But then I also always feel like, oh, no, we've lost another one when someone goes to the drama world and it feels like they're never going to come back to comedy. So. Right. Well, I mean, I think comedy is way harder to do than drama. Oh, it, that's because it is. But it is. Um, are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you <laughs> do you consider yourself spiritual? Oh, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I mean, I wasn't raised in the church, um, but mm. uh, definitely. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being a Southerner, that, that, that is saying something. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I had my little spiritual journey. Like I went to, you know, my, my all my friends were, you know, Baptists and Methodists mm-hmm. and stuff and my grandparents and I would go to church. I would do that. But um, I, I find that um, for me, it's Buddhism that, you know, really helps me um the most yeah. as far as you know meditation and mindfulness training and that kind of stuff and i i really mm. wouldn't be able to do what i do in this business you know to stick with it as long as i have without that you know because it could just keep yeah. you grounded yeah yeah and final one is um what is your go-to karaoke song Oh, uh, sweet dreams! Uh, Eurythmics. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> right back to right back to Annie Lennox. Goes back to Annie Lennox. Yep, definitely. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, um, Annie Lennox in the drag world 
I, I, I mean, I've been doing drag since I was 15. I started in the, the, the dive bars, you know, sure. some drag shows. It was like, you know, we'd start at eight and we'd go till midnight. So it's four hours of drag show and Queens are coming through the bar and, or you're, you've planned like your first three numbers, but you got two more numbers to do and you've totally forgotten what you wanted to do that night. Mm-hmm. There's this thing that's like legend in these dressing rooms where if a drag queen's like, oh, I don't know what number to do. I didn't bring the right wig for this. I didn't bring the right. I know what I'll do. Pulls off her wig uh-huh. and goes, I'll just do Sweet Dreams by Annie Lennox and just go out with my <laughs> go out with my bare head. Yes. I've seen that happen countless times where a queen's like, I don't know what to do. Oh, uh, I'll just do Sweet Dreams and pulls off her wig <laughs> and goes out in her in her out of drag hair and does Annie Lennox. It's it's never stops being funny when you witness it. There you it. go. Yeah. <laughs> there she's just a legend from top to bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you'd like to plug or promote for our listeners right now? Well, I would love for people to watch that episode that I directed of The Good Fight. It's the seventh episode of the fifth season. I'm very, very proud of that. And then um, Claws, the final season, will be airing at the end of the year. So um, it took a long time because of COVID to finally put it out. But um, I'm very uh, happy to be able to share that because that was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my career. So I was sad to see it end. And um, I'm glad that we get to have one final season to share with the fans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations on everything. Thank you so much for being on this podcast today, Carrie. It was my pleasure. It really feels like a merging of um, alternate universes Mm -hmm. or different timelines, uh, having played you once years ago but now now here we are on a podcast together now we have Um, to be sisters that's the next thing yeah that's got to be the next thing um so we've put it out into the universe Mm -hmm. um um no spaghetti straps for me Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and i will say when i i had to have that wig made like I remember the, the the offer coming through and then only having a couple days and I didn't already have, a, I think they just assumed I already had a wig cut exactly like your hair, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't. So I had um, a friend of mine do that wig up real quick and something about when I was for the cupcake knife scene when I was in the apron and the shirt I was wearing and the wig I did not look like you I looked like Patricia Heaton in the show The Middle <laughs> well, I remember yeah you could say that Polly's trying to be that kind of a person you know so that works that works yeah I, I posted that um, picture and I said how did I end up I'm playing Carrie Preston and I ended up giving uh, Patricia Heaton and then she ended up commenting, you look great. (laughs) What is my life right now? Anyway, thank you so much for being here today. I'm wishing you all the best. Um, Thank you all for listening to Hijinks here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure you search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. Where can they follow you, Carrie Preston? At Carrie Preston. There you go. And I'll see you all (laughs) next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Bye, And that's that. Forever. Dog. 
listen to hijinks ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hijinks five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hijinks is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.